Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Warsham. With me today is author, doctor, uh, all around interesting guy. Can't wait to talk to him about this. He wrote a book called Boy Crisis. Why our boys are struggling and what we could do about it. Please welcome Dr. Warren Farrell. Thank you very much for being on the show, Doc. I love all that applause. <laughs> it makes people feel welcome, and I, I always find it's helpful to inflate one's ego just before we start. You know, just a little yes, bit. Yes, when when we start from a really low point, it's really uh, helpful to get to mid level. <laughs> <laughs> so I am fascinated by this subject because. What what I find very interesting about it, and I'd be curious to get your take about it, is uh, is that for me personally, as a dad, I, I went back and watched your TED talk and stuff, and and maybe I'm jumping too far ahead for the listener, but uh, get, in fact, let's do let's start there. Give me the gist of what is the boy crisis, if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I discovered the boy crisis sort of when I looked at the fact that all sixty three developed nations were falling behind, boys were falling behind girls in every single academic subject in almost all those nations. And the um, and, and the ones where they weren't falling behind completely, they were falling behind in most areas, but especially in reading and writing. And reading and writing are the two biggest predictors of success. So then I started asking, well, what was that about? And I saw that in all these developed nations, the key word is developed, that uh, there was pr- much more because survival was not such a core issue uh, that boys, uh, there was more permission in the society for divorce and more permission for moms to raise children without being married. And in those two groups, the children of divorce and the children where moms were raising children without being married, there was a very high percentage of boys who didn't have their dads present. And I started dividing the boys without their dads present with boys with their dads present and boys with a lot of dad involvement were actually doing very well. They were not in boy crisis mode at all. And But I discovered that the, the in a way the boy crisis resides where fathers do not reside 
and fathers do not reside particularly in large percentages in among divorced uh, families and among children who are born to mothers who are not married. And in the United States, 53% of women under 30 who have children are um, have children without being married. That's 53%. It used to be in the 60s, it was um, the 3%. Now it's 53%. So you can get a, a sense of this enormous jump in this dad deprivation in the last um, 50, 50 years or so. You know, I've spoken to another gentleman from uh, the Carolinas, and he's doing this great uh, thing where men who are behind on child support in, in lieu of spending jail time, he, he offers a six-month program that the, the courts are uh, put these guys through. And basically what he does is he teaches them to be fathers. And it's very interesting because he kind of speaks to your point of that, you know, a lot of these guys will say, well, I didn't have a father, so I don't know how to be a father. And he go, and his, his argument back to them is like, well, the fact that you did not have a father around should actually be proof to you of how important a father can be because of just, you know, look at the life choices that you make. And one of the things that I really was interested about what you said is that when the feminist movement came about and, and what that did to, I guess, kind of both genders. Do you mind speaking to that for a second? Sure. And a little bit of background on this first. I was the only man in the United States who has ever been elected three times to the board of directors of the right. National Organization right. for Women. I, I imagine if you're, doc, if you're you, right, part of this whole thing is saying, and, and it's, a, it's another why I love the idea of having you on the show is that, and I think, it, I hope it goes without saying with my audience, but just to be clear, the doctor is not saying, you know, uh, single moms are horrible people, right? He's not saying, he's not attacking anybody for any of that. What he's doing is he's stating facts. And it is, it is really tough to argue with facts. And, and just because you're a single mother, right, doing what you can, that does not mean that you are failing your child or anything like that. I think that, and, and allow me, if you would, to put words in your mouth and then correct me if I'm wrong, Doc. But the, I think what you're really getting at is that it's on us as guys. The guys, if you, if you separate from the person you have a child with, you need to make an effort, regardless of how frustrating or how much stress can come from it. You have to stay invested in that kid's life. You can't just leave her alone on an island. And I think that maybe if you're a single mom is, is that you, you need to kind of keep your antenna up for maybe not somebody else. You don't got to find the next guy that comes along, but it is a good thing for your kid to have some kind of male role model. Is that a, is that a fair assessment of what you're saying? Yeah, I'm going to just sign off here because you really are expressing it better than I could. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. I talk too much. But yeah. I, no, no, I, no, no. I didn't mean that as a negative. I meant that as just a playing with you in a positive way. No, good. Because <laughs> I, I really do. My, It's funny because I always argue with I do the same kind of thing is that I've been called a chauvinist and, and jokingly like misogynistic because in my family, I kind of I kind of call the shots. Now, that's not to say that my wife is, you know, browbeaten in any way, shape or form or, you know, it, it is the quintessential or stereotypical thing where she she really has the ultimate power because I do everything I can to take care of her. And I take that responsibility responsibility very, very seriously. And my wife, I am more feminist than my wife could ever be. My wife, my wife gets uh, she throws up in her mouth at the idea of feminism. And that's not what we're, we're saying here. What, what, what we're saying here, uh, what, what you're about to break down is a very interesting, I believe, unintended consequence of the feminist movement that had a lot of greatness, 
But there's this one little element. So uh, go ahead, Doc. I'm sorry for all my disclaimers. No, no, no. This is uh, wonderful what you're saying because it will. Um, it's exactly on target. So first, yeah, my being on the board of now got me, of course, allowed me to be, and I was, I was, you know, was selected myself into its in- involvement with it um, because I cared so much about expanding women's options, and I think the feminist movement has to be giving great credit for expanding women's options beyond what anyone in the 1950s, 60s could possibly have been imagined. And as a person with two daughters and my co-author, John Gray, has three daughters, um, you know, we're just delighted about that. Um, That's the good news. The bad news was that we on the board of now did have an understanding that we, we evolved out of the civil rights movement and then from the civil rights movement into the um, into uh, the attacks on Mar- uh, Marxism, on, on capitalism. And those movements had oppressor groups and oppressed um, the rich, the poor, the um, slave owners, the slaves. And we took the and there were attacks on the part of Lenin on the nuclear family. And a lot of the early feminists were very socialist and radical red stockings groups, socialist workers parties. And we just took the oppressor oppressed dichotomy and said, okay, men are earning more money than women. That sounds a lot like the more oppressor uh, group. And women are earning less than men. That sounds like the oppressed group. And we, we flipped it into that dichotomy of oppressor oppressed without realizing that, yes, it was not men that were earning more money than women for the same work. And if you need proof of that. I wrote a whole book called Why Men Earn More and What Women Can Do About It to explain that it isn't men earning more money than women. It is dads earning more money than moms. And dads earn more money than moms for reasons similar to what you just said. When when a man becomes a dad, if he wanted to be a musician or an actor or an artist, he knows that the words associated with, um, uh, um, let's say, artist is starving artist, an actor, yeah. it's waiter, and um, and musician is usually unemployed, and that women don't fall in love when they're when women are wanting to have children, they don't fall in love with beautiful, soft, loving, tender men in the unemployment line, they fall <laughs> in love with men who are able to make a living, and so we um, give up our fantasies, our our the glint in our eye, oftentimes to do the things that we know will allow our children to be able to move to, to, to have homes and better neighborhoods with better schools so that our children will have opportunities and advantages that we do not have ourselves. Now, our mothers do the same thing. They risk their lives in childbirth. They, they often focus their careers, but, uh, f- uh, so, sorry, they often sacrifice their careers, um, to make sure that their children have more options than they have. But what we didn't understand in the feminist movement that while women were making sacrifices of careers, men were making sacrifices in careers, sacrificing their passion for teaching teaching, going into becoming administrators or superintendents of schools because they liked it less being an administrator than a teacher, but they knew it earned more and that that would supply better um, income for their children. Or they ended up selling insurance nationwide uh, full time and they developed what I call the father's catch 22. They learned to love their family by being away from their love of their family. Now we took all this sacrifice and devotion and willingness to give up the glint in our dad's eyes 
And we turned it against dads. If they didn't earn more money, they were losers. If they did earn more money, they were part of the patriarchal power structure uh, designed to um, have rules that benefited men at the expense of women without any having any understanding that the obligation to earn money that someone else spends while you die sooner is not about male privilege. It is not about male power. It's about learning to give up power, that is, you give power up to the boss's desires or your company's desires. You you learn to give up power in order to get a different type of power. And that was the power to feed your family, protect your family, and to love your family in a way that was complementary to the way your wife was loving the family. Yeah, I had a similar kind of situation. Uh, I mean, obviously not as part of women's suffrage or anything along those lines, but it, it to me, it's a microcosm of what we're talking about, where I was talking to my brother-in-law, who's on my wife's side of the family. And when we get together, we kind of do the kind of thing that I think a lot of guys do, where you kind of jokingly, you know, complain about your wife or, you know, the old ball and chain kind of, you know, talk. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I really, you know, I, I do everything I can to make sure my wife gets everything that she wants, you know, because I've gotten flack before, not necessarily for people listening to the show, but friends, because I manage all of our money. And when times were bad, I basically told my wife that, you know, she could do what she wants to do. She just has to ask me first, if that makes sense. Now, when you say that, right, to kind of talk to what the the social landmines that we're going to talk about here is that when I say my wife has to ask permission before she does thing, immediately I get labeled as a chauvinist, misogynist, that, you know, I'm just oppressing her in every way, shape or form. But in reality, I have never said no. That really all I'm asking is to be notified, right? And maybe the permission word is the one that is thrown in there because all I really say is you just got to ask. Let me know. So I know that this is going to be, this money is going to be coming out of our bank account because not because I, I want to control my wife's decisions, right? But because my wife wants nothing to do with our finances. She doesn't (laughs) want to know the day to day. I've offered to sit down with her and I have no problem with that. So what she get, what her life is, is that she says, hey, can I go out to lunch today? And then I look at the budget and go, yes. Or I look at the budget and go, we're over budget, but I find some other place that where the money can get moved and go, yeah, you could do that. It's fine because you're not doing this or we're not doing that kind of a thing. But I never say no, right? And it, even in times where it's been tight, I've said, well, we're over budget. It's not a good idea, but if it's really important, that's fine, of course, you know? So I yes. said to my brother-in-law to get, bring it back to the stories that I said, uh, I go, you know, I, she gets everything she wants. I wish that I had somebody who got up and just found a way for everything I asked for to just exist and handled all of the stress and everything. And he goes, well, that's not the way it is for you. And I said, why? And he goes, because you're a man. That's, that's what it is to be a man. Like that's, and he looked at it like I see it as like this very weird like it just doesn't make sense to it but he was looking at me like i was a crazy person for even walking down the path of thinking it was like i was talking about the earth being the center of the world you know what i mean like it just didn't even register for him and i think that's kind of what we're talking about here right like this this idea that just because i like to use the example there is there's these kind of hidden benefits to seeing life a different way Nobody wants women to be sitting in a house or in an abusive relationship or uh, sitting in a house where they can't do what they want or have a say in the way that the family runs. Or like I said, an abusive relationship. Nobody is preaching that. But what we are saying is that when we can't when as a society, we said, yes, women can go work. And this is the fascinating thing. I'm going to jump ahead on your TED talk. 
women go to work, right? We gave women, we expanded, as you said, Dr. Farrell, we expanded their purpose, right? But we de- neglected as a society to recognize or even start to expand the male purpose. The male purpose still is to this day to earn money. And that's, and even myself, like a guy who's a stay at home dad, I'm invested in my kid's life. My wife, my wife is very happy. But to say that I've said it on the show, I would wrestle constantly. And sometimes I still do with this programming in my brain that felt like if I wasn't making more money than my wife or any kind of financial shortcoming that we had was entirely my fault. Yes. Well, first of all, you are taking on a lot. <laughs> Secondly, and um, what is your now? What contribution does your wife make to the home and the family and the children? Right now, uh, we, she it's financial. Like we've we've actually got, had an interestingly enough, we've kind of done the Freaky Friday where I used to do stand up comedy and I was home all day, and that was kind of the genesis of this show. Is that was my comedy and I did it, and then it kind of took a turn organically and and went down a, a different path. And then I, I realized that I didn't like being away from my wife and kids. My comedy career was going good. I was making good money. But interestingly enough, I realized that I was not ever going to make enough money while we lived in Southern California to where my wife could stay home with the kids. And, and that compounded with the, And it's interesting because I think it speaks to what you're saying. That was the number one thought in my mind is that I wasn't going to provide enough to where she could take care of the kids. Yes. That was yes. the first thought that my little lizard brain came up with. And the second thought was that if I was away from my wife and kids, I knew I would become depressed and I would be miserable. That honest yes. to God, and, and I thought this was the realization I thought I had in my life, is that I thought that I realized that more than anything else, more than my passion of making people laugh and entertaining people, which I thought at the time was a, a God-given talent of mine, right? More important than that was that all I really wanted to be was a dad to my two kids and raise them to be really good people and to have their own mm-hmm. families. Uh, and so I thought, well, I got to I got to change things around so that I could be home more. And and this is what what you're talking about is exactly what I found you know, among men in the, when I did the research for the boy crisis book. So, for example, the Pew Research Center for the first time in history asked a large number of men who were full time working men, which would you rather do? Would you rather be home full time with your children or would you rather be um, working full time? And 49% of the men said, I'd prefer to be home full time, not part time, but full time with the children. Um, but my family needs the money. And so that when I talked before about men giving up yeah. their, the glint in their eye, being the comedian in your case, yep. uh, to do what they felt needed to be done, that is earn more money. That's what men's role has basically been. And what we as feminists never understood was we sort of said, oh, the men earn more money. That means they are, you know, they have male privilege, they have male power. Uh, we earn less money. That means that we're the powerless ones. And that is really, um, you know, that is, uh, that just proves, uh, that men have run the world and control the world and that type of thing. But, you know, what we, but no one among us in, in the feminist movement understood until I, until I wrote the book, The Myth of Male Power. And I sort of started piecing together. Wait a minute. Power is not, should not be should be defined as control over one's own life power should be understood to be not what most men define it to be which is feeling obligated to earn money that somebody else spends while we die sooner that's not a great definition of power and no woman would accept, you know, be stupid enough to accept that but we have been the social bribes of our life have trained men 
to be disposable as a way of being masculine. That is being disposable as a way of being masculine, being disposable in war and being disposable as 93% of the people who die of, uh, in the workplace and almost 98% of people who are take the hazardous jobs in the workplace. And so we have looked at our lives as doing that type of sacrifice that you talk about. And that's, you know, and, and sacrificing ourselves was never too big a burden of masculinity historically. But now we're, we're beginning to ask a different question, or we should be. What, I, what I'm asking in the Boy Crisis book is, first of all, for dads to recognize how important you are. Secondly, to recognize why and understand why you're important. That is, what are the nine major differences between dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting that leads to children that have what I call checks and balance parenting that is a proper tension between dad-style and mom-style parenting? Those are the children that I discovered do the best. And almost nobody understands what dad-style parenting is, including dads. And so what I'm saying to dads is don't blame moms. Um, you know, read the chapters in The Boy Crisis on dad-style parenting. Understand, for example, why, um, for example, when moms and dads are together and uh, dads, let's say, are roughhousing and say dad tosses his three kids on the couch and um, the, the, the mandate is for the three kids to jump onto dad's back and to pin him down before dad pins all three kids together down. And in the process, you know, mom's looking at the dad and the three kids going, Oh my God, I feel like I have just one more child to monitor here. Um, <laughs> sort of like, um, you know, but on the other hand, I don't want to be controlling and, and they do seem to be having a lot of fun, but I just, I can, I can visualize it. What's going to happen is sooner or later, uh, the kids are going to sort of have, uh, you know, crash each other's heads or somebody's going to end up crying and I'm going to be, feel guilty that I didn't stop the process sooner. Well, it's about a hundred percent chance that she's going to be, she's right. And then when dad st- stops the rough for a moment and says, okay, Jimmy, you can't push, use your, your elbow to push um, Jane, your younger sister Jane aside like that. Um, you've got to sort of um, do leverage and fake her out and do these types of things in order to be in the primary kingpin position in the, in the pinning down of me. Okay, okay, daddy, I'll, that's, that's all right, I'll do it. And then, okay, well, I'm gonna get, we're going to go back to roughhousing, but if you do that again, that's going to be the end of roughhousing. That 95% chance they do it again. And then dad says, okay, now no more roughhousing till tomorrow night. Well, the key learning experience here is tomorrow night when dad says you, ha- you can't put an elbow in your sis- younger sister's face or you know, um, push uh, your younger brother aside like that. The, and the dad warns them, the kids know that there'll be an end to roughhousing if they don't pay attention to dad's warning, that gives them enough incentive to think about their sister's needs. Therefore, we've, the findings are that children who, um, who do roughhousing with their dad and when dads enforce the boundaries by saying oh, the second night after the warning, no more roughhousing, you violated the, um, the agreement um, that the dad stops the roughhousing, then the children learn that they have to be empathetic in order to get what they want. That is, they have to think of someone else's else's needs in order to get their needs met. So all the data shows that children who do roughhousing with boundary enforcement dads form a great bond with dad and excitement with dad, but also learn to be more empathetic. They also, the children learn 
a, a distinction between being assertive versus aggressive. The difference between using leverage to win your position as a kingpinner of the of the pinning down of dad versus using your elbow or you know or pushing or shoving. That's the dis- difference between being assertive and aggressive. Kids who are empathetic and who are assertive as opposed to being aggressive and non-empathetic, they end up developing more friends. The p- kids who develop more friends are much less likely to feel depressed. They're more likely to feel engaged. They're also li- likely to learn postponed gratification when dads do the boundary enforcement. That is, dads required the children to do to postpone the gratification of pushing their sister or brother aside and have the postponed gratification of long-term satisfaction from the roughhousing while they were thinking of the of the, of the needs of others. Postponed gratification is the key to success at work and success in activities. So those kids do better at homework. They do better at um, uh, rehearsing for basketball, football teams, cheerleading squad, whatever. And those children, therefore, get more praise in school from both peers and from teachers. They develop more pride in home. They feel better about themselves. They're much less likely to drift into um, being um, uh, feeling feeling um, alone, um, ashamed of themselves, um, and therefore withdrawing into video games addiction or addiction to uh, porn. And those are the kids that really do well. So that's what leads to, that's just an example of one of nine differences between dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting that is very the, that are very preventive of the boy crisis. And to find out more about that, go to boycrisis.org. All of this is in the description of this episode. Again, the name of the book, Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Could Do About It. Hit pause. Go pick it up now because it's it's fascinating stuff. And I know that there are anomalies of parents that are listening to this. I'm sure that there are moms who are kind of seeing themselves as more of a disciplinary role. But for me personally, I just can't help but it, that kind of blew my mind what you described there uh, is because – I've never quite could put my finger on what it is, but when my wife puts the kids to bed, which is, that's the routine, right? Mm -hmm. She puts them to bed, uh, and then there's always, always, and when I say always, Doc, I mean always, there is some kind of, ma, like, to the point where she gets, she hits a limp. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then she starts screaming at them, right? Mm-hmm, but yeah, when I put them to bed... I didn't know it, but I was, I think in my mind, I was doing that kind of thing where when I put them to bed, I would say, okay, listen, none of these questions. So if you got it now, now's the time. What's mm-hmm. your question? Because if you ain't thirsty now or you ain't uh, curious about something now, then as soon as this door shuts, that's all bets are off until manana, my friend. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they would just go to sleep. Yeah. It was never, it was not an issue for me. And I just thought it's because I'm an asshole. Like that's, <laughs> but I think it's because also when they were young, there was, that's always been my thing. And maybe it's just, I think I got it from my dad, but it's like, there's a consequence for everything that has been people like, I think people judge have judged my parenting, including my wife have said that, you know, 
everything seems to be a big deal to you. Like, you know what I mean? And it's because to me, the smallest things always have bigger examples when it comes to their behavior, right? So I need them to understand that there is always a consequence to your actions. So when you don't mm-hmm. listen, I got to take away the blanket. I'm sorry, but this is what I got to do. And mm-hmm. I'm giving you the choice and I'm giving you the warning. And so ultimately it's you deciding. And what I've always, until you started saying this to me, I was just doing this without really thinking about it. And I'm not a genius. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think I'm speaking to your point of these big differences between dads and moms and what they bring to the table is that what I was unintentionally doing is saying that you are in control of your decisions and you are in control of your emotions to a certain extent, right? I'm not invalidating your emotions, but I'm saying that you you can't just go off the off willy-nilly without understanding you're accountable to the people around you. Am I making sense here? Yeah, we're making 100% sense. And just for the mom that's listening, a couple of things here. First of all, it really is important for you know, for dads to share in a loving way to, first of all, learn about their differences. So, so for example, um, moms who are predominantly involved with the children set earlier bedtimes than dads do. But the data shows that the children with dads actually get to sleep and uh, earlier than the children with moms for exactly the same dynamic that, that you wow. said. M- moms can almost always be appealed to, Mom, I'm sorry, but I didn't finish my homework. You don't want me to go to homework uh, to school tomorrow without finishing my homework, do you? Well, okay, sweetie, I told you to do your homework before, but no, I don't want you to go to school without finishing your homework. I can, I'll tell you what, uh, spend 10 minutes finishing your homework. Uh, Mom, it's 10 minutes are up, I know, but I'm still not finished with my homework. Okay, I want you to make sure you're finished with your homework. So the child learns to manipulate a better deal with mom. <laughs> Uh, whereas dads, so the children with moms, the moms report that they feel far more coerced by children, far more exhausted with the children. The word most single moms use is the word overwhelm. So, um, so the first thing that for single moms to know is if there's a chance of bringing the biological dad into the family, the way, the best way to do it is to know what he brings that is of value to the children because when dads feel valued and needed like uncle sam valued the men to die in war and and every generation so men were willing to die because they felt they were needed when when your when the father of your children feels that you understand his value and you understand those nine differences and why they need to be part of checks and balance parenting for you and him to work on every situation your child faces and figure out what balance do we need here between mom style parenting and dad style parenting when you're working with him that way he will much more likely be involved. Now, you may have a dad that's just as hopeless or dead or in prison and can't be involved. And so let me just end end here with a few hopeful things for moms in that position. Number one, getting a stepdad involved is good, but it's extremely difficult. Read the chapter in The Boy Crisis on how to involve a stepdad so he doesn't just become an advisor to you, but becomes an equal parent to you. So these types of dynamics don't um, happen in your home. Second, make sure your school system is encouraged and lobbied by you to hire male teachers. Um, make sure that uh, and you spend spend time in the boy crisis book about how to go about getting your school system to do that. Make sure your children are involved with Cub Scouts. Make sure they're involved with Boy Scouts. When they get a little bit older, older make sure they're involved with 
a mankind project. If you're at all faith-based in your orientation, get your children involved in a faith-based community where your minister, priest, or rabbi, or imam is very carefully selected, and that where she or he is, uh, well, he, no, it should be a male role model there, is um, is involved with getting your son involved and with talking with other boys his age about the problems they feel, the the mask they wear versus what's behind that mask. So your boy never feels alone, isolated, alienated, and purposeless. And so these are just a few of the many, many uh, examples of what moms can do. If you're a mom and a dad, um, or, or just a mom, make sure you read the section um, Appendix A on how to set up a family dinner night so a family dinner night does not become a family dinner nightmare. Um, make sure you <laughs> – and, you know, which is very easily can morph into Oh, that. yes. Yeah, that's easy to do. <laughs> and, but there are – you know, talking with families that have made it work, there are very specific things that families do um, to, to make family dinner nights the most powerful contribution to stability love and good listening skills um, for, for your children and for the parents of the children. I want to hit, and I know we got to wrap up here with you soon, uh, but I'd like to close with your uh, John story, uh, who was in your men's group. If, I, I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. But yes, yes all right, yes. good. But what, the other thing I wanted, because I didn't, I don't think I connected it to, and it was really impactful in your TED talk. In fact, if you want to see his TED talk, go to boycrisis.org, and it's got the full TED talk there. And this is really interesting. Going back to the feminist thing, and that, and, and that part of the 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 fatherless boys and the boy crisis is is that boys kind of grow up without a, a sense of purpose. And that's a, that's a huge, to me, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a doctor, but I, I think I'm a guy who gets people, and I feel like that's probably a really strong predictor for self-confidence and just depression in general, is that if you don't feel like you got a purpose in life, then you're out of it. And to kind of speak to this growing trend, it's nowhere near. I mean, right now it's actually dipped from in the Great Recession in 2010, but there's only 7% of dads out there are stay-at-home full-time dads, right? Compared to 28% of stay-at-home full-time moms. Now, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and, and correct me if you uh, if my numbers are wrong, but that's the last research I saw from uh, a Pew Research or the Census is what I saw that on. But anyway, uh, so there's this idea of of men not having that same purpose of care being added to their purpose, where he, you point out about how even a nurse has, if it's a guy, has to be called a male nurse. And then mm-hmm. you kind of have to walk through life with a little bit of shame if you are a stay-at-home dad. And I, I, I just like to throw out there, and you piggyback however you want on this, Doc, because I'm, I'm, bas- I'm stealing your words all over the place. But my point is that if you are a stay-at-home dad and you're struggling with that insecurity, I think it's important that you understand where that insecurity comes from. And I think that the Doc has pointed it out to you. And now you can kind of work to rewire your brain's approach to that insecurity, that that insecurity is something that was provided to you. It was not your, it is not real. It is a manifestation in your own mind. And that if you want to be a dad, if that is the thing that makes you feel good and your wife wants to go have a job and work, or if you both kind of want to be around the kids, whatever that may be. But my point is, is that if your wife makes more than you or is better at going out and getting a job than you, but ultimately you want to be a dad, let go of that insecurity because that insecurity is just becoming an obstacle for you to to do that thing that you love. 
and it's gonna it's gonna you're gonna burn so many calories and make yourself you know we talk about how when you have an infant you're just always more tired than when you're and then as your kids get older you feel tired but it's like but I used to sleep for like three hours kind of a thing and I think it's because there's just so much fretting right there's so many worrying and anxiety and all of that stuff so when you're constantly worrying about your kid and your marriage and then on top of that you got this self-loathing burden that you're carrying like a backpack of bullshit around with you to say like oh i'm not a i'm not a good enough man for my wife i'm not a good enough father to my kids i think that society has shown that that's not what we're saying right women have women could choose career now and so therefore men can choose home life now and and we got to you got to start with making it making yourself comfortable before you're going to turn the tides of everybody else staring at you around you and so let it go, man, is all I'm going to say. Uh, is there anything you want to add to that, Doc? I'm sorry I went off on a rant on your point. But. No, no, that's perfect. Uh, so first of all, I'll spend a minute with the concept of Father Warrior, a minute with uh, the Purpose Void, and then a minute with the John story, if you if you wish. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, okay, the, um, the Father Warrior. We as a society, just like we made it really um, – uh, very palatable and rewarded and uh, talk in very positive ways about women um, being heroes in the workplace and CEOs and so on. Um, we have to create a new sense of purpose for men. The old sense of purpose was be willing to be disposable in war. If you are, we'll call you a hero. If you, um, if you die in the process of saving somebody else, we'll maybe build a statue in your favor. Um, these were social bribes to be willing to be disposable, the social bribes of being called a hero, social bribes of being valued, respected. Um, and if you didn't do this in war risk disposability, you did it in the hazardous jobs of the workplace. Well, today we need fewer men to die in war. And women are sharing more of the of the breadwinning burden. So we need fewer men to die at work, even though still to this day, about 98% of the hazardous jobs are done by men. Um, and so we, we um, are having a place where many boys are experiencing a purpose void. And then these boys are experiencing a purpose void combined with a dad void. So there's not a good male role model to give them a new sense of purpose, to help them discover themselves and to help them discover what might be a new sense of purpose called being, instead of a soldier warrior, being a father warrior, uh, being somebody who overcomes all the discriminations against men being full-time dads that exist in the culture and is willing to take on those discriminations and have the internal courage and internal security to battle those prejudices against him as a dad and um, and to go out there and say, I want to be a full-time dad. I am worthy of being a full-time dad and I can make a contribution that is important enough so that I can feel comfortable marrying a woman who maybe earns uh, more than I do. And while she earns more money in the workplace, I'll be more full-time involved in, in the home place. And I can do, uh, and the two of us can raise children and she can be a have-it-all woman. A have-it-all woman being somebody who is happily married, raises children effectively, and has a very successful career. And I can be a man who has purpose in raising children extremely effectively because not only am I secure, but I also have good, solid knowledge as to why the children who do best, um, who are, um, are children who are raised uh, predominantly by dads with involved moms in an intact family, these children do terrifically and as a rule. And so, um, and the last thing I'll do is uh, you asked me to share the John story. I love the story. I hope you, I thank you for indulging me. It's such a, it's so, so great on so many levels. 
Absolutely. I, I used to form, uh, and I still do actually formed a lot of men's groups, about 300 of them so far, and about 200 women's groups. Each time I went to a, a presentation, I would circulate a pad and paper and ask people to join the groups and train people after afterwards till oftentimes two in the morning to um, how to run the, the effective men's and women's groups. And so um, one day, about a, a, a few years, um, I used to write a lot for Ms. Magazine, and Ms. Magazine had a celebration of its, I think, fifth or tenth anniversary, I'm forgetting which, I think it was their fifth anniversary, and this guy comes up to me at, um, at the Ms. Magazine celebration and says, you, um, that, are you Warren Farrell? And I go, yes, and he goes, well, I, I joined a men's group that you, that you formed, and, um, and I wanted just to tell you that it changed my life. And I go, oh, really? How so? And he goes, um, well, I gave up my job and decided to raise my children, um, my, uh, my son, full time. And I said, wow. I said, has that been okay for you? Is Because you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, full time raising your children often means a lot of negotiation with your with with the, with the mom and, um, you know, a negotiation and introspection on the part of yourself and so on. And he said, I said, how did this happen? And he said, well, you know, this men's group that you formed, I, I was kind of um, a little bit poo-pooing it at first because one of the questions you ask the men's group to ask each person is, what's the biggest hole in your heart? And when it came to me, I realized that the biggest hole in my heart was um, getting a divorce as a result of being so involved with my career that I lost contact um, with my, uh, I had very little contact with my son. And my wife didn't like the fact that I was never there. And we ended up getting a divorce. And then I, um, I got remarried. And my wife and I, um, and so I always, always regret that. And one of the men in my men's group said, well, you know, you seem to be extremely um, sad about this, John. What's happening? And he said, well, I guess the fact that my wife and I um, have just have found out that, A, my, my new wife is pregnant. And, B, um, we're going to have a boy. And I'm just fearing that I'm going to repeat the whole pattern all over again. And I really love my wife and I want to love, you know, my son. And so the men's group confronted me and said, well, you know, have you talked to your wife about, you know, doing something differently than you did last time? And no, no, I haven't. I don't think that would be really cool. Uh, what do you mean really cool? You know, you know, this isn't um, talk with her. Uh, okay, he talks with her. He comes back and he says, okay, she says, do, John, whatever you want to do. Um, I want you to be happy. I want our children to, be, to do well. Okay, um, so, but now I have, uh, you know, a, a large number of legal contracts that are obligating me uh, to be involved for the, for the next couple of years in my, in my work at least. Um, so, John, break the contract. I can't break these contracts, I, I, but I can renegotiate them maybe, but I'm, but I, I don't want to let people down. Uh, well, you know, what you own is what you own owning you, John. Mm, all right. So this forced me into thinking that through renegotiating my contracts and, um, and eventually I ended up, um, working it out so I could leave my career for five years and raise my son full time. So I said, well, was this a good decision? Um, and he said, um, Warren, it was by far the best decision of my life. I used to, you know, write and think a lot about love, but I never even had a clue about love, what love really is. Um, you know, when I, when I care about what my son is being fed and is he being fed too much, too little? It, can his right hand go into his right coat? Can he walk? Can he, 
um, you know, what do I need to do to keep him safe, but give him, you know, um, opportunities to grow. Um, you know, this is, I, I, I realize that this is love. So at this time, I had just come back from my first book tour and some, and I was on TV a lot. And, um, somebody comes up and says, um, um, comes up to our table where we've been talking for about an hour and says, uh, may I have your autograph? And I reach up and say, excuse me, John, but I just want to uh, um, do that. And I get, I reach up for his paper and pen and the guy goes, well, you know, actually I was thinking about getting his autograph if I might first. And then of course I'd like yours. What is your name? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I got the point. Uh, I'm feeling totally embarrassed. And, um, the, and so I, he, um, signs the the um the piece of paper very quickly so quickly that i know the guy must be very well known and i say excuse me but i don't have it i haven't had a tv for the last number of years and i don't watch tv because i'm doing all this other stuff so um you must be well known are you and he goes i'm fine let's go back to our discussion no no really tell me what your, what your last name is john and he goes lennon i go john lennon and i said no wait a minute i recognize that name are you a member of a singing group? And I'm really feeling proud of myself that I can connect the name. And he goes, yes, yes, I am. And I go, what's, what's the name of the singing group? And he goes, the Beatles. At which point, I, my level of ignorance did not lower, you know, was, was not at that high a level. So I now feel totally embarrassed. But um, that was my story of, of spending an hour with John Lennon not knowing who he was. Incredible. And it, what an interesting thing to, to, to be an impact on a guy who impacted so many people. Because it's funny because oftentimes that song, uh, and I don't know a lot about the history of the song, but just when I saw you tell that story on the TED Talk, it was, I was so taken aback because there was a song that, that beautiful boy song that he, uh, would sing. It, uh, every time when my sons were babies and I'd be holding them, it would just come, it would, it hits my head. And so for me personally, that's why that story really resonated to think that mm -hmm. in some way you were, uh, indirectly or even directly a part of him, uh, influencing his decision is uh, a really cool thing. So again, yeah. uh, not that it needs to be said or that you need any validation from a guy like me, but, uh, but Dr. Warren Farrell, thank you for, uh, everything that you do and all the time and research that you did and, uh, uh, to get all this information together. It's, uh, you're a good dude, and I appreciate you very, very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, the, again, go to boycrisis.org. The name of the book is Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Even if you're a mom with a son, check out this book. It's, it's going to be an interesting read. You're, you're going to learn a lot about it. You're going to learn a lot about your sons and and, and what they need and, and just interesting information, just interesting information all around. Again, thanks. Uh, thanks again, Doc. I appreciate you coming on it's the show. It's been just a pleasure talking with you. It's been, a, it's been fun. All right. We'll take a little break and come back with a little moment of the week. You made them. You love them. And sometimes you want to choke the living shit out of them. But occasionally they give you that one sweet moment. This is that moment. Moment of the Week, brought to you by Dad Gear. All your child traveling needs packed into stylish, practical perfection. Designed by real dads for real dads and moms. Don't be the guy with a diaper purse. Be the man with a Dad Gear diaper backpack. Go to dadgear.com and use promo code DADPODCAST at checkout for 20% savings. Made in the USA. Oh, thank you so much again to uh, Dr. Warren Farrell uh, for coming on the show. I have uh, kind of a quick 
moment of the week uh, that, you know, I talk, I got on a little bit of a soapbox. I want to say it was early in the school year this year because I was really feeling kind of impacted uh, or by the PTA and booster club involvement that I had and, and the community in the neighborhood that I live in. And I had another example of that. And I, and I hope that you are lucky enough to have something similar in your life. If not, I highly encourage for you to try to seek it out. And the best way I found, I do a lot of talking in circles and I'm sorry for that. I'm not, I'm not very good at this, but my, it's interesting on the PTA and booster club side, they, we get a lot of accusations of being clickish. And I, I've learned that most of the time, I think that clickish becomes a kind of a protective, like a defense mechanism where we say that, Oh, it's so clickish, you know, because you know, I can't get in or blah, blah, blah. But in reality, I think you just got to learn to kind of go up and just say, hi, put yourself out there uh, and see, see what you get back. And I was fortunate enough because when Jacob hit kindergarten, that we we had uh, he he made some buddies and he did a couple playdates not a lot but I'd never really interacted with the parents but when he hit first grade he wanted to invite like three of his buddies uh, four of his buddies to to the party I said sure so we invited four of his friends over and all the parents and it turned into almost a twelve hour party where people were coming and coming back for they had playdates in the afternoon and we had good food in the afternoon and drinks all day and just realized that we really connected with these folks and we've stayed friends with them ever since and developed traditions and where now uh, we come, everybody comes over for Halloween and then we all go trick or treating and then we come back with the little ones and take a break. And then some of the parents go back out with the older ones. And my, one of the dads brings a portable karaoke machine and plays Halloween music while he sings and makes announcements. And it's just fun. It's just all around fun. And so my moment of the week is I talked about it before um, with Mark Barlow that I had felt a little disconnected uh, from uh, not necessarily my kids, more so my wife. In fact, I've talked to her about that recently, and I took I took his advice and about Valentine's Day, and it's it's helped tremendously. It makes a big difference if you just kind of call it for what it is. And I I came out and I I said to my wife, I said I feel a little disconnected. I don't know if you. She goes, No, I do the same way. I think we're we're both just really focused on working, which is okay. As long as we maintain uh, an awareness and 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 also remember to focus on that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, my my one of my friends uh, was watching a couple of other of our friends' kids, and and she was worried that my son would feel left out because he was kind of one of the only people who wasn't coming over. And so she, because she's a great person, she reached out, and I said, "Oh, it's fine." I go, but. If you don't want to be by yourself, you know, kind of managing these kids, I'm more than happy to come over and just be another adult who can, you know, help things along. And and I like hanging out with her. She's a great person. And uh, so we go over there and I brought uh, my flask because I like bourbon and uh, she had a beer. And so her and I just hung out with the kids. We played Uno. Uh, we played another game too, and then and we're just and it was fun to just chat with the kids. I found out about a a couple that had broken up, and it was stuff that I would not have honestly found out about if it was just in my house. And so it was it was enlightening in that sense, and just an all around solid afternoon. I talked about it early on this episode about how I really just wanted to be a dad. Like that's that the more and more I live my life, the more I realize that the more I can make things to where that's what I'm doing as a as a priority. I think overall that's the happier I am and it's hard to 
it's interesting, right, that that could be such an important thing and it could be right in front of your face all the time. But I think because it's right in front of your face, you almost come a little numb to it and it's easy to slip away from it and to, to fall into like the career because I don't know if you're like me, but like I said on the episode with Mark Barlow where I just keep telling myself, well, if I get this career thing going enough, that'll give me more time later. And and I, I'm not so douchey to think, well, don't, don't do now. The, today is a present. I mean, I get that concept, but I also understand that reality is reality right like that you got to work and you got you got to but it's about the balance i think is what is easy to for us all to say but maybe harder to do blah 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 still talking in circles justice point is sitting there playing uno with my son and his friends was so much fun and so relaxing and just like such a battery recharge it was so great and so chill and and then we ended up staying there till later on the night i got pizza for everybody and I drank, and I don't think this had everything to do with it, but it also didn't hurt. I probably drank about a third of a bottle of bourbon because I drank my whole flask just throughout the night. And I did wake up uh, with a pretty bad hangover. Not horrible, but, you know, I'm, I'm 40 now, so things are different. And uh, But it was just all around a great time, uh, great laughs, and just that, you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about, right? Those moments in life, and it's why we call these moments of the week and not just the week, right? Because chances are in a seven-day period, you're going to get one, maybe two if you're lucky. I, let's be honest. Depending on what kind of a, a situation you got going on in your life, because I've been in those valleys of life where I'm lucky to have a half a moment or a quarter of a moment, fucking eighth of a moment, you know what I mean? Where, And so just to have that moment to kind of carry you through and to kind of go back and smile to, it's important. And I know this sounds douchey, and I want you to say whenever I do things where I sound super douchey or super heavy-handed, it's not because I say them because I'm saying them to you because I think you don't get it. I'm saying them to you because I've forgotten, and my hope is, is that by you listening to the show while you're on a walk or running your errands or walking through the grocery store or whatever it is you do while you listen to the show, that it gives you that little, not that same moment, right, but it gives you... It, it, it realigns your antenna so you could go, you know what? I need to, I need to go home and I need to, I need to kiss my spouse, right? That's why I say hump your loved one. It's a joke, but the point is go home, hug them, kiss them. And maybe that after you listen to the show, you go home and you kiss your kid on the head or you, you know, the next time you see him or maybe you're listening to this, uh, uh, while you're cooking dinner and, you know, they're in the other room. Then go in there, give them a little kiss on the head, tell them you love them, even if they're teenagers and maybe they're annoyed. I don't know. But that's why I say it. I say it because my hope is that maybe it's uh, it's the same reminder for you that I need often. That it's not about me thinking I get it. Because trust me, you know this from listening to me for so long is that I don't get it. We're all just making it up as we go, right? We're all just doing the best we can, hoping that everybody's happy. And, that, and, and, and interestingly enough, the theme that keeps coming up, especially when I'm talking by myself, is that chances are... If you're worried about everybody being happy, everybody's fine. So just make sure you're not worrying so much that you forget to be happy yourself. Yeah? All right. Sorry this is a short one. Uh, I'll make it up to you, I'm sure, down the road. And uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're pissed off about the quality of episodes, especially because you're paying for this, shoot me an email and just let me know. Uh, I, 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 it helps me. It does help me. And I'm, I'm not going to go, well, fuck you, dick. Like, that's not how I'm wired. Uh, but I, I hope you're enjoying the show and I appreciate you very, very much more than you will ever know. So this is Justin Warsham on behalf of Dr. Warren Farrell. Don't forget boycrisis.org. The book is called boy crisis. 
why our boys are struggling and what we could do about it. Boycrisis.org. Pick it up. Check it out. Read it. On behalf of Dr. Warren Farrell, this is Justin Warship saying, hug your kids, hump your loved one, and stay frosty, my friend.